Well, it is good to be with you this morning, and uh, if you're following along, we are in Genesis chapter 1 uh, this morning. We'll make our way there in just a moment. I want to thank you for having me in today. I know that maybe not all of you were in on that decision whenever I go and speak in a church and you say, thank you for having me, and they say, we didn't even know you were coming. <laughs> it's up to our pastor or our elders or whatever, and uh, so, um, but I'll just pretend that you all knew and we're all in on it, and... Um, and all invited me, so thank you for having me this morning. Very glad to be here. Um, my name is Roger Farrell. I'm a missionary with Multiply Maine. Uh, we are glad to be with you in this beautiful place on this beautiful day. It is absolutely gorgeous outside, if you hadn't noticed. It looks like spring. I'm sure we've got a little more winter coming, but it looks like spring. We'll take it for as long as we can get it uh, right now. And um, this is a beautiful place. This is, uh, this is our first time, my wife Caroline and I, our first time in Southwest Harbor. We've never been here before and so very glad to be in your village it is uh it is lovely and um you are very blessed to live here i think um i'm sure you you feel that way um we will leave here this afternoon and uh, pick up our kids at our house in prospect not prospect harbor but prospect right across the river from bucksport and we'll drive to booth bay harbor uh where i preach at anchor church uh, uh anchor is a church that we started back the first of december and uh, most weeks we are there uh, leading worship and preaching and being part of that fellowship. And um, I would ask for your uh, prayers today for traveling mercies. That's a long haul. I think it'd be quicker by boat. Um, and um, I know some of you who make your way here, it might be quicker for you to get here by boat. I think it would be quicker for us as well um, to do that this morning. Um, on behalf of our, our board and our prayer partners, um, I want you to know we're, we're praying for you. Uh, I rejoiced when I met your pastor, when I heard him preach this past fall at a conference that I was also speaking at. And um, when I just heard him clearly articulate the gospel. Um, and then as I've gotten to spend some time with him, getting to know him, meeting several folks in your congregation who were there. Um, I always rejoice, as I'm sure you do, when there is a church in Maine that is preaching the gospel. And it seems to have a grasp on the gospel. I did take pictures of your church lending library out here uh, because I get excited when I see bookcases like that. And um, we've been going around the room snapping pictures of all sorts of things um, just so that we can delight in your gospel centeredness. And that is a delight uh, for us. Um, my family and I just moved back to Maine uh, to focus full time on this work. Um, and to greatly expand the work of helping churches plant biblical churches here in Maine. Uh, multiply Maine is a pretty self-explanatory name. That's what we do is we help uh, multiply uh, God's work in Maine through church planting. And uh, our, our vision is, our hope is that we would see a day where there is a church that is preaching the gospel and sharing the gospel in every community for all peoples in Maine. Uh, we lived here before uh, planting churches in two different cities uh, and developing a passion for working with church planners and with missional churches. And then we moved away for uh, over a decade. Yes, I know. What were we thinking? Um, and um, I worked with church plants and uh, churches in the Midwest and in Canada and in the southeast. Most recently as a regional minister uh, consulting with churches in, the, in South Carolina. Um, and it was in that capacity that we found ourselves partnering in Maine again, beginning this effort, uh, buying a house here, which is a whole nother story, uh, last year, and then finally relocating back here uh, with our family. Um, we have four great kids, uh, ages 23 to 7, and uh, so we are all uh, spread out. 
Uh, sometimes I say we're spaced out, and that might be appropriate as well when your kids are spread out from 23 to 7. Um, and I look forward to them meeting you sometime soon. Um, the reason I'm here this morning is because uh, I, I believe it is your pastor's heart that we be in partnership together. And uh, I'll be meeting with your elders uh, as part of their elder retreat. I'll be with them for a couple of hours um, next week, I think it is, or the following week. And uh, looking forward to that time as well. Um, our task in this partnership with churches in Maine is twofold. One, to encourage biblical churches in Maine to multiply themselves. Uh, and two, to teach and to lead churches to plant biblical churches where they are needed. Uh, to discern that, uh, where they are needed, we look at two different criteria. One, are there churches that are preaching the gospel in a particular community? And two, are those churches preaching the gospel to the community? And I, I know you understand the distinction. In other words, first, are they sound in doctrine? And second of all, are they missional in approach? Uh, most of us know churches, and it is uh, 30 wonderful people. And it's been the same 30 wonderful people for the last 30 years. And there is uh, isolation from the community. There is no reaching or outreach into the community. And so we're looking for both of those things, both uh, orthodoxy and orthopraxy. Okay, both that they would uh, have sound doctrine and that they would put it into practice doing the things that Jesus told us to do. Um, You know better than I do. Uh, I'm assuming most of you have been here longer. This stint, I've now lived here for three months. Um, and um, uh, my whole time in Maine is, is less than a decade, although I hope uh, there are many decades to come living here. Uh, but you know better than I do, if you've been here longer than me, that there are many places where there are no churches preaching the gospel, and there are many places in Maine where churches rightly divide the word of truth in their building but are not reaching beyond it. And I know that this grieves you, Uh, At least I hope it does, because your jurisdiction does not stop at the border to your community. Uh, And I believe that um, all of us agree that we desire that everyone in Maine gets a chance to hear the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And we desire that God would be glorified in every place and among every people. Uh, It grieves me. Uh, I moved to Maine from South Carolina when I was 26. I'm not 26 anymore. Um, My wife and I and our two little boys planted a church with a team of folks in Portland called South Coast Community Church, uh, which is now in Scarborough. And that was a sweet time. And it's a very sweet church. Uh, We have a lot of friends there, including their uh, young pastor, who who, when he came there was about the same age I was when I came there. um, Just, you know, a lot of years later, um, who has such a heart to reach the lost. And we've enjoyed reconnecting with them. We left Maine and we came back uh, to Augusta just for a few months and started a church called Kennebec Church. And I've just gotten to know their young pastor and rejoice with him in the reports of what God is doing there. Uh, We left to work with church planners and with churches in other places, but we had to come back uh, because our hearts are here and we love Maine and the need is great here. Uh, My big boys uh, were little here. My first church was here. Uh, My daughter was born here. She is our native Mainer. She vouches for the rest of us. Um, My oldest son was baptized here at Fort Williams Park. What a wonderful place to be uh, baptized. I was baptized in a uh, church building in Florida that later burned down. I don't know what that means. Um, uh, This is where I learned to be a pastor, uh, where I led my first wedding, funeral, communion and baptism. And so um, our hearts are very much here, Uh, which is why it grieves me so much that there are so many places in Maine without the gospel. 
Uh, it grieves me that uh, a, a few weeks ago, my wife uh, met a lady um, who was offended that my wife mentioned Christ to her. Simply mentioned the name of Christ to her. She was atheist. She felt like Caroline was being uh, disrespectful to talk with her about the gospel. Uh, Caroline finished talking with her. Uh, she calmed down uh, and they had a, a conversation. Uh, before they finished, she said, oh, you should visit our church. You'd love our new pastor. This lady, who's an atheist, said that to my wife. Um, it grieves us that the place that she goes on Sundays with the steeple um, and a congregation full of self-proclaimed atheists calls itself a church. As I know, it probably grieves you. Maine is on average three to four percent evangelical Christian, depending on the county. Hancock County, two percent, according to recent polls, which according to our kind of worldwide collective of missions agencies that cooperate together, qualifies the population of Hancock County as what we call an unreached people group. I don't know if you are aware of that or not or can tell that just anecdotally from your experiences day to day. You probably can. Over 90 percent of the people in Maine uh, here don't even claim to know Jesus is Lord. One point three million people in the state. Over a million of those do not know Christ. Hundreds of towns, neighborhoods and island communities have no gospel reaching church whatsoever. Steeples, yes. Gospel reaching, gospel preaching churches. No. Uh, we need hundreds of churches. In fact, uh, we could plant a hundred churches of a hundred people each, which would be an incredibly daunting task and only reach one percent of those who need to be reached. Now, consider that because sometimes churches set out and say we're going to plant a church over the next five years. We're going to plant one church. Now, the average size of the average church in Maine is about 50 and to say we're going to plant 100 churches of 100 people each would reach 1% of those who need to be reached with the gospel. And while Maine is the most unevangelized place in the country, state in the country, we're not the only place that desperately needs the gospel. 80% of the world doesn't know Jesus, and we are compelled and commissioned to go into all the world and make disciples. Our responsibility is great. All of us who are parents know that we are responsible to share the gospel with our children and to teach them to follow Jesus and to lead them to teach their kids, our grandchildren. I don't have any yet, but I'm looking forward to that someday to follow Jesus and so on. This is our mandate here, this mandate of multiplication given to the family by God. A lot of the people in our churches just think that that task is beyond them and they are right. It is beyond their own strength. But their response oftentimes is wrong. They simply quit and give up and quit the mission of God if they ever even got started. While looking at the statistics I just shared with you, it is no coincidence that these two are also true, that over 60 percent of evangelical Christians do not regularly share their faith. And over 90 percent of our churches are not directly involved in regularly starting new churches. Now, that's a lot of math. To throw at you, and I'm not a math guy, but I thought you needed to hear it. Uh, I've worked with a lot of church planners, and they love to tell the stories of how their churches got started. I tried to find yours on the web or on the website, and I couldn't find it. I don't imagine there are any charter members still here. Um, although some of you have, that I've met this morning have aged pretty well, I was surprised to find out one of you is 86. I hope I look that good. 
But we need to hear those stories. If you don't know that story, I would encourage you to find someone who knows and to share that story with one another. Every church was started sometime by someone. So every church has a church planning story. It's a joy to hear those stories, but it shouldn't end with your church. Healthy living things reproduce and all churches that are healthy should have babies. We need them. These communities need them and you need them. In fact, for most of our churches, it would make them healthier to help plant a new church in a neighboring community. Well, that's a lot of language. I wanted to get, give you all of that, but let's dig into the word. Let's uh, go right to Genesis in Genesis chapter one. And I don't know your practice here, but I would invite you to stand as we read this together and reading from Genesis chapter one, reading verse 26 through verse 31. And then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And then God said, I give you every seed bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it. I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. God bless the reading of his word. And bless it to us as we look at it together. And you may be seated. Let's pray together. Blake will get a kick out of that when I tell him that had I not looked up, we might have all stood for the entire sermon. (laughs) Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your word. We do. Without it, we would be hopeless. And we thank you for your guidance to us that it is timely and appropriate that every single word of the Bible is useful for teaching and instruction and correction and rebuke. And Father, we take your correction and rebuke this morning for the things that we have not done, for our sins of omission. Father, I am chief among sinners on that one, Lord. And so come not as someone calling other people to um, something that I am great at or that I wholeheartedly focus my life and heart upon, but coming as a fellow sinner um, called by the Spirit and under your grace to join in this task, needing the accountability of others and the encouragement of others in the things that you've called us to do, that we might do them and not only do them, but do them with joy, that we might be glad to tell the story uh, of the Savior who came for us and for your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In this creation narrative, in this part of it, we have the first part 
of the meta-narrative, the big picture of the gospel. Creation, fall, redemption, consummation, that big, big story, the full gospel. Uh, and this part of the story is, of course, consistent with the rest of it. So first we see the community, the, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let us make man in our own image. And Adam and Eve created in the image of God as image bearers of God, made male and female, their relationship together to reflect the community, the perfect community of the Godhead. And then blessed by God, not just blessed in good looks or abundant resources, which they most certainly were, but actively blessed by the father as an earthly father might continually give a blessing to his children. And here is a blessing that he gives them. Be fruitful and increase, or as it says in the, in the English Standard Version, and multiply, multiply. Fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion over all that is in it. To be fruitful in an apple tree, and I love that we have wild apple trees growing in my yard um, here. To be fruitful in, in an apple tree is to have apples, but for an apple tree to multiply, it has to produce other apple trees, right? And so two different things, not God repeating himself, not saying be fruitful and be fruitful, but be fruitful and multiply, increase. Don't just have the same. Don't just have apples, but have apple trees. Right. Um, And so have children, physical children. Yes, but not just physical children. Multiply men and women like you made in the image of God, blessed by God for the glory of God. The mandate was not just for procreation. If it was, we would just encourage you from this pulpit to have as many children as you possibly could, which is a great and wonderful thing to have children, but not just physical children, not just to make more people, because this certainly happened in the days of Noah and later at Babel. And neither one of these was pleasing to God because uh, these people that were created were not cognizant of being made in the image of God or for the glory of God. Although they knew God, they did not honor him or give thanks to him, as we read in Romans chapter one. So many are that way. And so God did not just command them to have physical children, but spiritual children, children who reflected the glory of the God in whose image they were made. Now, just like every church has a story of how they were planted, every person, every one of you, every follower of Christ has stories of how they came to know Christ, a story of spiritual fathers and mothers, uncles and aunts, big brothers and big sisters in the Lord who trained us up in the fear and admonition of the Lord and pointed us to Christ. Surely you can think of that list of people, whoever that was, your parents, perhaps grandparents, Sunday school teachers, pastors, people who continually pointed you to Christ. And I hope that you have stories of your spiritual children, your spiritual nieces and nephews and younger brothers and younger sisters in the faith, ones that you have pointed or even now are praying for that they will come to know Christ and you're pointing them to Jesus. So we have this command in to multiply given to Adam and Eve, the first people, the first family, and it's given again to Noah in Genesis chapter nine. We read it again and then something amazing happens. The command is confirmed as a promise to Abram in Genesis 17 and again to Isaac in Genesis 26 over and over again. God's saying this to his people. And as we follow this line of this family, all Related by blood, by physical blood, this people that were God's people. And then we see it make 
a jump to the disciples in the New Testament related not by necessarily the blood of race or family, but related by the family of God, related by the blood of Christ as it jumps to the Gentiles. And we see it given to the disciples and to the church. And we see it in the Great Commissions in Matthew chapter 28, in Mark 16, in John 20, in Acts 1-8, over and over again, given this command, multiply God worshipers, make disciples, be my witnesses. Create people, make people, help people to be, to know the truth that they are made in the image of God and for the glory of God. Except in Acts 1-8, an interesting thing happens, it becomes a promise again. Let's look at that one for just a moment. You know, Acts 1-8, most of you familiar with that. This is where we begin to get into the New Testament. Most of us not so familiar with this mandate in the Old Testament. Most of us familiar with it from passages like this one, Acts 1-8, which simply says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, whenever I teach the book of Acts in Bible study or preach it, I always invite folks to turn to the to the front of Acts, to the title page and to to modify that heading. Now, this one here just simply says Acts. And a lot of ours, it might say the Acts of the Apostles. I always encourage them, if you're someone who writes in your Bible, um, to cross out of the Apostles and just put of God. Right. Because the central character of the book of Acts is not the Apostles. It's God. And God is the one who works and he's sovereign throughout. We see that there. Um, this not being part of a canon. It's OK. We can do that. Uh, this is just a tool for our use. This um, not part of scripture, but a, a title put there for our use, perhaps. And so the acts of God feels much more appropriate, appropriate to me than the acts of the apostles, because this book is all about the acts of God. He's the protagonist, the hero of the story. Moving through chapter one, we read. That verse, Acts chapter one and he, Acts chapter one, verse eight. And he says in there, he says, you will receive power. Not you might or you may, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. That is, God is sovereign over the evangelist. Here we are in his image for his glory under his complete authority, just as we find ourselves there in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, he isn't asking, right? He just says, you will be. And so we are those who are filled with the Holy Spirit, those who know Christ, because God is sovereign over the evangelist. Now, sometimes in sharing our faith, I feel like um, I went to a couple of AA meetings with my dad when he was going through that in that period of his life long ago. And sometimes I feel like that's how it is, that we get together as the church and we might stand up and we might just say, hi, my name's Roger. And uh, it's been, you know, some time since I've shared the gospel with anyone. Now, I'm not making fun that we I, I think one of the first steps in us becoming or being evangelists is our confession that that's something that we shy away from as the body of Christ. We would far rather gather with people who already know Christ than we would gather with People who don't, especially people who find the gospel offensive. And that's understandable. Why wouldn't we want to be with the family of God? But this is who God tells us that we are. We will be witnesses. God compels his people to go. 
The reason we see those numbers for not sharing so high is that there are far fewer of God's people than our membership roles would attest. Then the number of steeples, white steeples all over New England, perhaps would attest Does every believer share the gospel faithfully at all times. No, but God does compel his people to go. Like the prophet Isaiah, we're deeply impacted by seeing the holiness of God and we realize our own sinfulness before him. And then we respond as Isaiah did, like when he said, here am I, send me. That should be our reaction to worshiping God as we sing together, as we hear the gospel preached, as we read his word together. Our reaction is a confession of our own sinfulness and shortcoming, our recognition of what he has done for us, our desire to share that With others. And as we go, we go under the sovereign grace and power of God. Paul said, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross be emptied of its power. Now, most of us are in no danger of preaching the gospel with eloquent wisdom, right? Oftentimes, I'm in no danger of ever preaching the gospel with eloquent wisdom. And that's good because. I've never heard anyone say I would have become a believer when the gospel was shared with me, but someone shared it with me so poorly, their execution was so bad, their elocution so elementary that I chose not to respond. You ever heard anyone say that? Is that any of your story? Oh, I would have come to Christ much earlier, but the people, the person who shared the gospel with me, they faltered on some of the language. They didn't use big enough words. It wasn't eloquent enough. They didn't do it with an accent. Never heard anyone say that. Now, the truth is, is that God works through our efforts, choosing to work through our efforts. And if the Holy Spirit doesn't show up and work, then it's all for naught anyway. His desire is to work through us, through those two things, through the family and through the church. These two institutions that God created for multiplication in order that there might be those that know they're created in the image of God for the glory of God and live for his glory. We are the vehicle that he chooses to use by his spirit. We know that it is not our powers of persuasion that save, nor our eloquence that saves. God told Jeremiah, whatever I command you, you shall speak. And Paul again says, when I came to you, I didn't come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty words or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Does that describe most of your efforts to share the gospel with people that you come in contact with? On a daily basis. And so the command became a promise. And then the promise again, a command and on and on through scripture. God's not just hanging us out there as it were, but prophesying what his people should do and will do by his power and grace. We're men and women under authority. And did not our Lord say in Matthew, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and what? Make disciples, right? Make disciples, go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe or to obey all that I have commanded you. And behold, listen, he says, I will be with you always to the end of the age. Well, here between his power and presence, we have a command that is, in fact, a promise. 
And he said as much in Matthew 24:14. This gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to the nations. And in the end, which is for us a glorious beginning, will come. The command is a promise and we can follow because he will fulfill. Now, listen, I, I could come to you this morning and I could tell you simply application. Here's what we do. We're about planting churches and here's how your church can go about planting churches if you're not already. We could do that, but see, I don't think the mechanics are a problem. I don't think the resources are a problem because it doesn't take much money. It doesn't take a lot of resources to plant churches, to go into communities and to see that there's not a church there preaching the gospel and to share the gospel with people and then gather them together. And later, as we see in Titus chapter one, to appoint elders, it doesn't take a lot of resources to do that. The reason that this doesn't happen is simply because perhaps our hearts are not touched for those other communities, that this, too, is the mission field. And this, too, is a mandate that is given to us by God and that we as God's people can and should and will do this. We can follow because he will fulfill. We can be faithful Because he is faithful, we can be sent because he has been sent by the father. We can go because he came and he's here and he's Lord and king over his people. He's sovereign over the evangelists. One more book into that. Just a note. He's also sovereign over the evangelist. If you look at the very end of Acts at a lesser known verse than Acts 1, 8, but Acts 28, 28. If you look at that verse and you can just jot it down, we're just moving through these quickly. Um. It says, therefore, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. God God is not just sovereign over the evangelist. He's not just sovereign over the church. God is also sovereign over the evangelized. He's sovereign over the world. And that's why we rightly say to them, you can't make Jesus the Lord of your life. He already is the Lord of your life and everything else besides. He's not just sovereign over us who gather in this building and all those people out there are sort of on their own. God is also sovereign over the evangelized. And the promise is that as this gospel is shared, that they will listen. Not all will listen, but those that are appointed unto righteousness will listen and respond in faith. And this is the work of God. And this is what we get to be witnesses of, is that we get to see God work in this way. So we don't need to be afraid. We don't need to hold back. We don't need to be worried about our lack of ability. We need to hold fast because he holds us fast in this. I love the words of Abraham Kuyper, who was... um, a preacher and prime minister in the Netherlands years ago. If you haven't read his readings, you, I think, would enjoy them. A man of great authority himself who once said there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry mine. And so this is the context in which we, we do this work. And this afternoon when we go to Booth Bay Harbor, it is very hard to identify churches in Booth Bay Harbor Uh, The locals that we gather together with there, this core group that came out and asked for help, and we've been helping them to plant this church. And uh, very hard for them to identify churches that are both preaching and sharing the gospel in that community. And so a young doctor came to us and visiting with his kids in a church that we were in and 
said, what do I do? I don't want to drive an hour to go to the nearest gospel centered church. I feel like our, our own community needs a church that is centered on the gospel and sharing the gospel. And so as we began to talk, God began to raise that up in his heart to do that. And those folks have come together to do that in Booth Bay Harbor. And we'll join with them this afternoon. And glad to see that started in Booth Bay Harbor. But lots and lots of other communities in Maine where they don't have what you have. And the fact that some of you drive here from an hour away, they could testify better than I could that those communities just simply don't have what you have. And they could by the grace of God and the obedience of the people of God who God has called to this work. And so I, I would invite you to this work if you're not already a part of it. Um, would invite you to talk with us about that. Talk with your elders about that. I'll be meeting with them about that. Um, you know, I don't know what keeps you awake at night. One of the things that keeps me awake at night is that there are children growing up in communities where no one is preaching the gospel. Right here in Maine. There are towns where they live and work and go to school and go to the grocery store. And no one in that community is preaching the gospel. Now, they can get on the Internet or I suppose watch Billy Graham crusade on television and hear the gospel. No one with skin on in their community preaching the gospel. And I would invite you to be. Part of that work, I would invite you to be obedient to that very first command, the very first command of Scripture for us to be fruitful and to multiply. And that's a command that I believe is given to us in joy. For joy, that God has called us to obey that for their good, for the good of all those around us, for our delight, for his glory. This is what Christ did for the joy set before him, for the glory of the father. And that we might have life to the full. And his word promises us that he's given us everything we need for life and godliness. And that includes this. And so I invite you to be part of that together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, um, Moving very quickly through all of those passages of Scripture this morning, but wanting folks to see the completeness of this calling. That it is not new, it is not singular, it is comprehensive. And Lord, that the things that you call us to do, you equip us to do by your grace, and you have called us to this task. I am certain of it. Father, I rejoice that years and years ago, some people came together in Southwest Harbor and said, We need a church that preaches the gospel here in this place for the people that will come. And here we are. A hundred years later, 150, 200, I don't know, a lot of time later. And here's this generation of people gathered together, worshiping you, Lord, opening their doors to the community and their hearts to the community and praying for and sharing the story of the gospel, sharing the good news of Christ with those in this community. Lord, we rejoice in that we yearn for that. We long to see that in other communities where it's not the case. Will you lead us there? Lead us to be there gently to find the people of God, to gather them together, to pray for and encourage them, to encourage churches that that have a handle on doctrine, that know the, the truth of the gospel, 
but that are not sharing it with the community to encourage them to do so. Lord, Will you help us in that? Lord, will you encourage us to give our money and our time and our talents and our resources and our energy toward that effort that the children of that community might have what the children of this community have a, a church that is centered on the gospel and glad in Jesus. Father, if there are some here this morning that don't know you, that came in because of folks in this church sharing the gospel with them. Lord, we rejoice that they're here. We pray that you would do what you do, that we cannot do and touch their hearts um, with the truth of their unsinfulness and their need for Christ. God, would you work in that way in them as you worked so powerfully in us? May we rejoice in both of those things now and forever. And may it never grow old in our hearts. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen.